Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Tuesday, we're going to talk some USC fall camp Trojan football with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for us here at uscfootball.com. If you have any questions or comments for us, hey, we'd love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com. That is our email address. Or if you'd like to call or text, the number is 424-254-9100. Four one. That's four two four two five four nine one four one. You can find the podcast pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. Our website is peristylepodcast.com. A lot of our, our all of our old episodes are up there. We're hosted on Audio Boom, but we're on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and all that kind of stuff too. So, and today, like I said, we need to talk some USA Jordan football. You guys have sent in a lot of questions. We got a lot to talk about. So let's bring in Dan Weber. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Doing good. Ready to. Uh, ready to get the season going. I think uh, week one in preseason or, or week and a half, when you're like, oh, okay, I, I kind of like this preseason stuff. And then you get to the point, I think, where we are now, where you're saying, you know, let's start playing some games. You know, that's kind of where you get, I think, at this point. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. We got so much to get to. I want to get your thoughts on fall camp. Before we do, just wanted to thank our sponsor, SeatGeek, you know football's back, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long. If you're searching for last-minute deals, you want to plan a night out, you get a perfect gift, they'll find you the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. Nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action uh, with great value. And for our listeners only, $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So go to the SeatGeek, SeatGeek app. Download it and enter promo code USC. That's promo code USC, $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Uh, life's an event. We have the tickets at SeatGeek. And I'm going to be using this, Dan. I, I got some friends that want to go to the USC-Texas game in Austin, so I got to pull it up and see what the prices look like. It's probably not going to be great, but uh, I'm going uh, to check that out. But, yeah, there's yeah, a lot I'm, of people I'm want here, tickets I keep hearing, Yeah, I keep hearing the, the Texas people keep saying this is the most anticipated game in uh in austin in like 30 years wow i mean it's like uh, i know it's uh pretty exciting that's pretty neat uh i know i used them uh SeatGeek needed some notre dame tickets last year and uh it worked out really well so uh yeah i think uh i think that's probably what you're gonna have to do <laughs> oh we'll check it out well okay so we are let's see there have been is it nine practices now nine, yeah i think nine yeah one of them was this like a Glorified walkthrough with no no helmets. Uh, we Saturday, of course, was the scrimmage. You know, big day for JT Daniels. A lot of talk about that yesterday at practice. So Monday we were at practice and they had uh, offensive players available. It's a lot of JT Daniels talk, but you know Jack Sears too. He uh, he had a couple of touchdown passes in the in the scrimmage. Um, you know, I thought he's looked really good this fall as well. But you know, maybe get to your overall impressions since the last time we talked to you of what you've seen over the last few practices uh, for USC. Yeah, and we got to talk to Jack Sears yesterday. I mean, one of the the, the problems, uh, you know, when you've got this kind of a you know quarterback competition, and one of them's a freshman, true freshman, and he can't talk. So you uh, uh, you get different you know looks at things. I uh, I think I I think it's remarkable the difference between uh, what uh, we saw in the spring with Jack Sears and Matt Fink and what we're seeing now. I I think those guys have done an uh, unbelievable job in terms of of the competition and the confidence when you talk to Jack Sears now after practice, the the level of confidence that he has in himself and, uh, you know, how much he knows, you know, he had to, you know, go out there and compete and put everything on the line. And he's done that. And he's shown us things. I don't think we, we thought he was ready uh, to do. We always knew he has, you know, he has the athleticism, the talent, we just weren't sure after the spring whether it was there or not. I'm not even sure when I look back at the spring 
what they were exactly doing with the quarterbacks. I know they talked about it. Well, it's a period of evaluate or not evaluation, education. It just didn't look like that a whole lot got done with the quarterbacks. Maybe just a case of they're waiting for JP to arrive and let's see what happens then. But, uh, but I'm, I'm really impressed with, uh, with what Jack, uh, especially I think has done. He's the one, I think he's really amped it up. Matt is, you know, the leader and the, the tough guy and, uh, you know, he's going to be there every day. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just, it's a little difficult situation because, you know, you had a big scrimmage Saturday and let's say JT Daniels is the guy you you really want to watch just because he's the new guy and he gets 10, he gets 12 passes. You know, and he, you know, hits on 10 of them, four touchdowns and what have you. 12 passes might not really be enough under game conditions in the Coliseum for a new guy that you really want to, you know, bring up to speed and see how far he can go, how fast he can get there. And so it's going to be, uh, you know, some interesting challenges, I think, for the coaches to figure out. Uh, and I think they've always done preseason well. So these first two weeks, I think, you know, I mean, I think the year they played Alabama, we were impressed with them uh, the first couple of weeks in preseason. And then they took two weeks to start getting ready for Alabama. And the team that at the end of those two weeks was no more ready to play than, you know, than, than anything. I mean, they just, they had, had gotten away from, you know, going hard and competing and they had, you know, every practice looked like a walkthrough and they were changing the offense and, you know, we're going to get ready for Alabama. And, and and they weren't ready to play. They weren't ready to be physical or fast or, or all of that. And so I think the thing that's really going to be interesting is when we get to next week and the week after and the week after, and the week, how do they handle game weeks? How do they handle uh, the ability to compete physically and to compete fast and to go after one another? You know, not all practice, not even half of it, just parts of practice and i don't know like even this week where they're sort of you know doing kind of a game preparation with the uh not real hard on monday and then full pads today and then tuesday wednesday in shells uh excuse me uh, wednesday thursday in shells and then friday a very easy day before the scrimmage but let's say you're an offensive lineman and they're really working on the depth and getting, you know, younger guys like uh, Jalen McKenzie and Elijah Vera Tucker and those guys to, to really be able to be part of the mix. Do you get enough work? Do you get enough competition uh, in, in, in this scenario? And I don't know. I think, that's, I think that was one of the things that Pete Carroll did so well. He didn't go long, but they went hard every day for a portion of ones against ones. And they had enough really talented guys on both sides of the, you know, of the ball that they really tested one another. And when they got to games, they were ready to play. I think that's the, I think that's a crucial factor that we're going to see going on. And I'll be real interested to see how do they handle that when they get to the, the game preparation week after week after week. How do they handle it? And, uh, I don't think we know. We definitely don't know yet. We'll see uh, how that progresses. And, you know, real quick on the quarterback competition as well. Um, I was watching. So the way the reps have been distributed, it's been, it's been kind of interesting. JT Daniels has got the most reps overall through camp. Then be Matt Fink and Jack Sears was kind of, you know, uh, he, he was last and by a significant margin, but he's had the highest, you know, completion percentage when you go through it. I, I chart all this on uscfootball.com. You can go check it out. Um, but yesterday at practice, and I asked Clay Hilton about this, it looked different to me, Dan, because they had a seven-on-seven seven period where there was five distinct um, teams going out there. JT Daniels had ran two of them, Jack Sears ran two of them, and Matt Fink ran one. Now, we've seen that before, but then they did a full 11-on-11 11 11 with basically two periods, one to Jack Sears and one to JT Daniels, none for Matt Fink. And that was kind of unique to go along with you know, essentially being slighted five reps or whatever from the the seven on seven. And then they did the full 11 on 11. It was a, I think backed up in your own uh, end zone period or basically. So you're backed up. And again, there was five periods, two to, to Daniels, two to Sears and only one to Fink. So that looked different to me than just like a regular rotation. 
And I asked Clay Helton about it, and he was like, no, no, that's just the way to do it, part of the rotation. I'm curious to see what it looks like the rest of the week. But did you read any, anything into that, that Matt Fink got significantly fewer reps on that day? Yeah, a, a little bit. Uh, and, and I, you know, and Clay was pretty, you know, uh, just sort of a you know, oh no no that was just strictly the uh, the way the rotations went and there have been rotations where where JT uh, missed out when they just did two rotations and he was the number three guy and, and that's happened but what the difference is when JT's a quarterback they throw the ball I mean they throw it down the yeah. field they open up with uh, fifty five yard you know th- you know play action pass in the air I would say this. If I'm T. Martin, I think I have to go with JT from the standpoint of the whole playbook is open. I mean, you make people defend if he's your quarterback and he can throw it 55 yards down the field on play action at the sideline, you have to defend 50 yards down the field, sideline to sideline. Think of how much more area that is to, de- to defend. Whereas, uh, the tendency, I think, <clears throat> not so much, it's, it's changing a little bit for Jack, where they're letting him throw down the field a little bit more. But the tendency is to, to, to be, uh, you know, a much smaller area that you attack. You don't attack over the middle. Uh, you attack to the sides, but not the deep out because that's such a difficult throw. Uh, so, if you're, you know, trying to defend USC, defending them with, uh, with JT in, uh, especially, I mean, defending the pass with JT in is a much different. You've got 11 guys and you got to defend sideline to sideline 50 yards down the field. Whereas with the other guys, you don't. I think one of the differences though with Jack is one of the reasons he has fewer passes is he really does not hesitate, uh, to pull the ball down and take off. And he doesn't want to throw into a crowd, doesn't want to take chances. I think he really, you know, has realized I can't, you know, I can't turn the ball over. I can't throw it away. Problem, you know, that Saturday had, you know, with four fairly quick sacks is you can pull the ball down, let's say, in seven on seven, or you can pull it down in 11 on 11 that's really not tackling. But Saturday, when you pulled it down, you, you were sacked. So I think, you know, that's kind of an issue, I think, for the quarterbacks. And, uh, but it is interesting that, that, you know, that they open the playbook when JT's in there. I mean, he, you really don't know. The predictability is down a lot when he's the quarterback because they are not afraid, you know, to throw deep middle. They're not afraid to call really, uh, you know, difficult routes and combinations and, uh, you don't see that with the other two quarterbacks the same way. It, it's a difference. I was talking to somebody who really knows USC football after the scrimmage, and that was the first thing that that person said. Wow, what a difference in the way they call the game with JT as a quarterback or with, with uh, Jack and Matt. And it's true, which is amazing when you think one guy wasn't here for spring and he's a, you know, a true freshman. But, uh, that's kind of the way it's been. We, uh, I guess we, we should jump into the questions, Dan, because we got a lot of them. A lot of you, everyone wrote in. So thanks for all that. People called in, wrote in, texted in, all that kind of stuff. Um, Earl in West L.A. had three questions. We'll try to go through these kind of quickly. Um, after one week of fall camp, how do you rate the three quarterbacks from one to three? And who do you think will be the starter? That's what everyone wants to know, Dan. Yeah. You know what? Uh, what I kind of say to people is, look, you, you hear what I'm saying, you read what I'm writing, and I, I like for people to make their own conclusions based on the information that I'm hoping that they can see through my eyes and they can feel through, you know, uh, feel through you know, the way I feel, you know, about things. I don't know that it's my position to say one, two, three at this point. Uh, I mean, I do think it's still going on. You know, it's not here yet. It's, you don't have to name them yet. And, uh, and you don't want to do it. It's like a little bit like, you know, Kirk Herbstreit when he's on uh, college game day. If it's a game that he's going to be calling that afternoon or that night, he's not going to make a pick. He's going to let the game determine what happens. And he's not going to feel like, because if you make a pick, 
then you kind of feel like you have to defend that pick. Uh, and so you see things through the lens of, well, I made this pick. I don't want to look wrong. So, uh, and there, you know, there's always that, you know, that danger if you see yeah. things one way. That's exactly uh, right, though. That's hard. It, it, you get it. If you make a pick, then you're like, oh, JT, I picked JT Daniels. Well, he looked better in practice. Well, did he or did you just be defending your pick? That's a good point. Yeah. So I tend to not exactly do that. You know, I mean, there may be a point where you get down to the, the end of this process and and you make your you make your pick at that point but uh i i I want the players to determine it and and let the coaches figure it out and they know again we're not in the meeting i still remember when matt liner um was named you know to start the auburn game i don't think we knew at all there were four quarterbacks involved in that and everybody said and he changed once he was named the quarterback Everything changed for Matt Liner, but he wasn't that obvious, uh, the standout. But everybody who was involved in the process said in the, uh, in the quarterback room, in the meetings, he was clearly the number one guy. He was in charge. He was comfortable. We didn't always see that play out when they were, you know, three and four guys going at it, you know, on the field. But, uh, Norm Chow did and he made his pick. But it wouldn't have been a pick that we could have made real, really obviously. I mean, Matt started throwing the ball differently. You know, he was kind of throwing it off his back foot. And all of a sudden, he just became the guy. And you saw what he did. Uh, but uh, so I, I don't think it's it, it's not our place at this point in time. You've done all the numbers and we tell you what we see in practice. But uh, we'll let, the, we'll let our, our guys figure out what they're seeing and what they're feeling as this, uh, as this goes on, Yeah, I think, with the quarterbacks. That makes sense. He also wanted to know, he said, I understand a walk-on linebacker wearing number 52 has been killing it. What can you tell us about him? Will he see the field, in your opinion? Uh, I'll answer the last part. No, he won't see the field, but go ahead. I know. I, I, I agree. <laughs> we don't even know. Sometimes they're not even on the, on the, uh, on the roster, and that is, I guess, uh, uh, Gilbert Spencer, I, I think is his name. Let's see, where is he from? I mean, some of those inside linebackers have done, have done really well. Um, let's see, what the? Yeah, so, uh, he's from St. John Bosco. So it's Spencer a Bosco Gilbert. Kid. Yeah. He's a Bosco kid. No, he yeah. looks like a, he looks like a player out there for sure, but there's so many linebackers without a bunch of injuries. It's great. I mean, he has looked really good. It just means you have, I mean, that's good. He'll, he'll help on the scout team and stuff, but. It's a time of year when you're like, oh, that walk-on looks great. Like, yeah, he's not going. He's not playing. So don't worry about it. it. I mean, I think the one thing it tells us, if, you know, walk-ons are getting to make plays, and they really are rotating on defense. I mean, they were sending them in in waves yesterday. I mean, you know, they'd go two plays, and then here comes another group. And it it does look like they truly uh, uh, are going to do what they said they're going to do and get lots of guys ready to play. And, uh, you know, I think the, the such good news about that, the, the best part of that is it makes practices so much more competitive because guys really have a shot. And, and it's not like they're just, you know, well, maybe I'll get in it, you know, and, you know, if we get a three, four touchdown lead. No, these are guys that want to be on the field when it matters. So the way that changes practice is just, it's almost, you can't even quantify it. But, uh, but that's a, but that's a difference. But yeah, there are honestly, there's been three or four kids, you know, on defense, walk ons who've made plays that you say, who the heck is that? Wow. He looks like a player. I just don't know who he is, you know, and then you go, you know, look up the hope you've got the right roster that's been updated. So that all the names are on there. But, uh, but yeah, uh, he's, uh, he's made some plays. He definitely has. Well, let's uh, wait before we jump into the rest. I wanted to thank Trader Joe's too. They've been helping us out for a long time, and I think we're a lot closer to doing our little Trader Joe's uh, get together gathering. You know, we're going to partner with uscfootball.com, partner with Trader Joe's. We can give you. We'll have hundreds of those uh, Trader Joe's bags to give away that everybody loves. So mark on your calendar. It's not. It's not a done deal yet, but mark on your calendar if you would like to go to the Jock Rally which is around 5 p.m. on Friday, August 31st, before the UNLV game. So 
outside of Heritage Hall, the band and the team and everybody comes out there. A lot of usually family members, um, but so we're going to set up someplace close by there. Just, you know, kind of casual, probably have some snacks, just meet and greet, you know, talk to people. So basically you, you can hang out and check out the the jock rally and we'll give you a, a Trader Joe's bag and things like that. So we're, it's not done yet, but uh, that's what it looks like we're going to be doing. So uh, we love partnering with Trader Joe's. I got one, you know, I, I just went there yesterday. Uh, there's one right near my house in Hermosa Beach I love to go to, but Dan, that's the plan right now. So I think that was your idea, right? The jock rally thing. I, I, yeah, that was the one thing I thought. Uh, I mean, I think USC has a, a unique approach to that like pep rally thing. They don't do the whole, you know, orchestrated thing, uh, you know, in the field house or, or, you know, bring in speakers and all that, but it, they do it for the, for the players and their families and the band and the cheerleaders, you know, and the, you know, song girls. And, uh, it's really neat and it's kind of, and it's understated. It's real personal. You know, I have usually, uh, one of the coaches, uh, speaks and, uh, sometimes, you know, the players, but, uh, it's, just a uh, you know, tradition that USC is, uh, has, uh, you know, it's, it, it hasn't changed either. It hasn't been like they've tried to, you know, orchestrate a big, a big deal out of it. But, uh, uh, but they, they don't mind if fans come. And it's always fun, like the Notre Dame game week. There are often as many Notre Dame fans who have come in, you know, Friday before the game. Uh, to look at USC's campus as there are USC fans. Uh, and it's always uh, a really neat thing, but it's so understated. It would be nice maybe for some USC fans to say, you know what, that, that'd be nice. I could watch the, you know, players or, you know, walk by from practice and, uh, to Heritage Hall and, you know, the, obviously the, to get to see the band and the song girls there, uh, you know, is really a, it's a fun, de- fun deal. So, uh, it would be the place I, you know, I would do it and, uh, hopefully, uh, we can pull it off. Uh, Trader Joe's would be perfect. And you'd like to be able to see those, those bags distributed to all the, all the people, the kids, the, the band, the, you know, everybody that's there. Yeah. Nice. So we'll, so stay tuned. We'll uh, hopefully have some finalized plans coming up uh, real soon for you on that. But just can I keep that date open? If you're going to be around that Friday night, if you're coming out for the game, if you live here, uh, it'd be great to see you. So, um, let's jump into our next question. We've got a voicemail, Dan. Hi, fellas. This is Curtis from Moreno Valley. Glad to hear Port Augustine is going to be back eventually. Please don't make him come back too soon because a healthy Port Augustine is about good for two sacks in a game. Uh, and that's against any competition based on what I've seen. Uh, our offense, just face it, guys. Even though we have Norm Child's playbook, which has every type of formation, basically we're running three wide receivers all the time, one back usually all the time, maybe a tight end. But we always have so many receivers, and we always do the read action. Excuse me, the read option action. Even when we've had slow quarterbacks like Cody Kessler, maybe – T. Martin is only comfortable with running plays like this because the playbook is much bigger. Sometimes we need to get bigger. Um, tell me what you think, Curtis from Moreno Valley. Yeah, Curtis, I mean, there are different theories about that. I mean, uh, you know, if you execute it perfectly and you really you know, do a good job and you've got a quarterback who can – even if he's not a threat to, the, to run the ball, you know, like Sam last year, as much as, you know, he could have maybe, uh, he wasn't going to, they, they didn't want him to. Uh, if you execute it perfectly, you can still get the job done. Uh, and if you don't, uh, it makes it tougher because, you know, there are some tendencies that they read. I will say this, the tendencies are not as easy to read uh, as I just talked about a little bit ago with JT because they will uh, let him throw the ball in places you haven't seen USC quarterbacks, including Sam, throw the ball. Uh, so, uh, you know, if, if sticking to that format allows them to really do it well, and I mean, so for example, you, you got three wide receivers, so you don't have, uh, you know, you don't have as much uh, blocking help, but, 
that way you really can't have any breakdowns. You can't get the protections wrong and you can't have any missed assignment. You just cannot. And you can't get beat physically either. Uh, if they can make that work, I'm fine with it. Uh, I don't know that adding, you know, more formations and, and more stuff, you know, is necessarily the answer. Would I like to see some more, you know, like counters, inside stuff, uh, screens, throwing the ball to the tight end? Yeah, absolutely. Could they do it from, you know, these formations? Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, I think it's, it, I mean, I think the coaches have to do what they're comfortable with, what they feel like they can coach and they can teach. Uh, but, uh, you don't want to be so predictable that they really can check. I mean, there have been years where they've gone to Stanford and they were so predictable that, you know, Stanford maybe didn't have all the great athletes in the secondary and all that, but they didn't have to, you know, the, the tendencies were such that USC, you know, wasn't going to throw the ball here and wasn't going to throw it there and wasn't going to throw it, you know, this way and that. And, uh, Stanford, you know, said, well, we can shut down what they're going to do. And it's not going to put a lot of pressure on us. So you can't, you can't do that. You gotta, you, you gotta be able to, but I think they can expand, you know, the, uh, the way this offense attacks you, but I'm not thinking they're going to change a lot. I think you're going to see mostly, you know, three wide outs and, uh, a one running back. I just think, and I think you're going to see the read option. I don't, I don't, I don't think there's any other way to go. It's, uh, they're pretty much committed to that. Now they just got to do it. They got to do it right. They got to make the plays, and uh, they got to beat you with you know guys like Amon Ra. It's got to add another dimension. Uh, they got two pretty good you know lead wide receivers, and you throw you know with Michael Pittman and uh, um, and Tyler Vaughn's, and you put Amon Ra into that equation. That gives you a third wide receiver. If you're a defense, now you got a choice. You got a, a difficult choice as to okay, how do we attack? And try to take some one of those guys away from them. And that's not necessarily going to be, you know, all that easy. And if, if they do incorporate the the tight ends, and they've got, you know, every one of the running backs can can catch the ball really well out of the backfield. So I think this is a, a you know, an offense that could be pretty darn dynamic. You just have to do it right. No mistakes, no penalties, and uh, aggressive uh, offensive line play where you may not dominate people, but if you occupy them and if you, you know, you don't make mistakes, uh, they've got a chance, but, uh, I don't think they're going to open up the playbook in terms of multiple formations and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, they might speed things up. Talk to uh, Brian Ellis about, you know, he said, yeah, we can go warp speed where they go one or two word plays and, you know, no huddle and just boom, boom, boom. I'd like to see that more actually uh you know you watched them saturday you know they weren't playing against the first team but the two-minute drill is pretty impressive and uh you might like to see them do a couple of uh series a game where they go tempo and they just really go fast and uh attack and and they've been a little hesitant to do that i thought they had the ability to do that with uh with sam and they didn't and you'd like to see them do maybe some more of that, but they don't have to change formations and personnel groups and all that to do that. They just got to speed it up. Cut along the same lines, Jason and Longhorn country said, if it's a toss up between the three quarterbacks, shouldn't Matt or Jack as mobile quarterbacks have the edge. It seems like mobile quarterbacks are just much harder to defend. And if it's close, it seems like we should go with the guy who could use his legs to get himself out of trouble. Plus if the quarterback is mobile, they can buy the receivers more time to get, open or running back to slip past a linebacker fight on Jason and Longhorn country. Yeah. Theoretically you can say, Oh, you give them more, you know, more time to get open. But if you bounce the ball to them when they're open, you know, how much, uh, how good, how much good is that, uh, you know, extra time done. Uh, and uh, the problem with, uh, you know, going to the running quarterback, as we saw Saturday is, uh, they maybe don't turn the ball loose when you need them to and they hold on to it or they know, well, maybe I can, you know, run my way out of trouble. Uh, cause if you're going to throw the ball, you want to be able to throw the ball. And, uh, as differently skill set, as differently skill set these guys are, I don't think you're going to have a tie. I mean, 
I just don't think a tie is possible under these circumstances. You've got different guys who do different things. Uh, and, um, so, so I don't, I don't necessarily buy that, you know, and there are other people who would say, well, if it's a tie, you go with the freshman. He's got the highest ceiling, you know, uh, so you can play that if it's a tie thing, you know, both ways, uh, and come up with different answers. And a lot of people would say, yeah, you're going to come up with the answer you want. You're just going to set the, you know, circumstances such so that you get the, get the answer you want. But, uh, but now I don't, I, I don't think uh, the running part of the equation for USC's offense for quarterbacks, I just don't see it because I just don't think they really believe in it. I don't think it's something they don't work at it. They don't work that much on the, you know, the, the mess points, uh, and, and the read and all of that. Uh, you have to work at it more in practice than USC does for it to really matter. And I just, it's just not something that, that they believe in enough to make it matter. I don't think. We, uh, we had one from Jordan. He said, this fall camp seems different. There seems to be more physicality during practices. Will this pre- prevent the Trojans from getting pushed around against quality opponents like Notre Dame and Ohio State? One would hope so, uh, but I think the key is how do you maintain that physicality through the season? How do you, how do you go week to week to week and when it's essentially game prep and when you kind of have your sense of the depth chart and all of that, how do you keep them competing? And I think, you know, Again, Pete, Pete did such a good job of that. Uh, and they kept getting better and better. I mean, they were one of the few teams I've ever seen that from the end of this regular season, four weeks later to the bowl game, they got better because they, the way they practiced, you didn't see team. Most teams just tried to, you know, maintain where they were at the end of the season. Uh, and that's going to be the key, I think, you know, for this team this year is, uh, how do they maintain um, and, and how do they improve it? And what do they do, you know, week to week to week uh, to keep the competitive, you know, stuff going and to keep the physical stuff going? You don't have to do it a long time, but I think you got to do it every practice. And you got to get those really good guys on both sides of the ball testing one another and making one another better every single day they go out there. And that's what, you know, that whole competition thing is all about. And, uh, that's uh, I think that's going to be the key. Okay, Dan, along the same lines, uh, we had a question from Will. He said, assuming JT Daniels wins the starting position, why not use the backup? He said, I'm assuming Jack Sears in a Tebow-esque sort of role in first and goal situations. If not, will Clay Helton slash T. Martin brain trust relent and let JT actually keep the ball? I know out of the box for Clay and T, but then again, so are the more physical practices we've seen in fall practice to date. That's from Will. Well, they did let JT keep it once Saturday for a, a nice game. And it was a, uh, you know, the, these guys are used to uh, JT as the, you know, the passing quarterback. And so I think it caught them off guard, which I think it would have the potential to do that. Uh, I think, yeah, if they're going to run this offense, they have to occasionally uh, – allow JT uh, to run the ball. I don't think there's any question about that. He's a strong kid. I mean, uh, the last we heard, he's 216 pounds. He's uh, a very, uh, you know, very solid, very solid kid with uh, uh, deceptive uh, ability uh, to run the ball. He's not looking to run it. Uh, but uh, uh, so, yeah, I think that that's, I think I like that part of it. Whether you bring in, uh, you know, a Sears at the goal line. I think if they were, if they believed in the run more, if they believed in the quarterback keep more, you might think about that. But I'm just not sure, uh, that you're not better off with the receivers they've got and with JT's ability to throw that quick, short, uh, pass and that, especially the back shoulder pass, the, the ball, the way he throws it. I'm not sure that that, that moves you up because uh, Florida was very comfortable with a running quarterback and, and very comfortable attacking you that way with Tebow. Uh, that's not USC right now. So 
I don't think you want at the goal line to go with something that's not something that you do all the time or that's something that you do uh, that you're comfortable with. I think to go away from what you normally do at the goal line is probably not a, a not a smart way to go. Yeah, that's the money plays. You want to keep you want to run the good plays. Um, Sergeant Jesse Rodriguez wrote in again. Uh, he said he wants to know. It seems like the quarterbacks are performing very well, at least when the offensive line is serviceable, which has caused Clay Helton to state he may need to decide on game week to choose a starter. Is it a mistake by him to kick this can down the road instead of making a choice earlier? Well, I mean, that's, that's, you know, one of the big questions is, uh, would you be better off? Uh, you know, if it were me, the way things are going, it'd certainly be down to two by the end of this week, uh, you know, for the mock game week. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'm convinced that going into mock game week, I mean, I don't, for me, you'd be doing another week of preseason camp instead of mock game week, then game week. You just do one game week for the UNLV and with your, uh, with your starting quarterback. I mean, I could see going into mock game week with two quarterbacks and then have the starting quarterback for all of game week is, is at the least how I think you would want to go. I, I don't think you want to be going into game week for, you know, week one with two quarterbacks or three quarterbacks. I just, that doesn't make a lot of sense, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I think the one thing with the name in the quarterback is, is you would like to see the winner, the quote, you know, quote unquote winner get as many first team reps as possible. And like when Dan was saying they have, you know, it's still doing three, you're in a rotation where uh, you're, you know, everyone's just getting very limited reps. Like it was not a, you know, Matt Fink just didn't get a whole lot of reps yesterday. So it's harder for him to compete. And, you know, splitting that up, I think if you know, if it's down to two, then the earlier you can do that, the better. Um, if you're waiting around just to keep things a secret, I don't know if that's helping things out, if you know what I mean, Dan. Yeah, and I talked to, for example, Josh Fallow is the one tight end who's been able to catch the ball uh, decently. But I talked to him after practice, I said, you know what, though it's interesting to me, I don't know that you've caught any passes from uh, JT Daniels. And he kind of agreed. He said, yeah, that's just sort of the way it's worked out. Now, some of that is the play call. Some of that is the uh, decision by, uh, uh, you know, Matt Fink and, and Jack Sears to, to throw the safe maybe underneath stuff. And with JT, he's throwing the ball down the field to, you know, Tyler and uh, Amon Ra. But I'd like to see, if JT's going to be the guy, I'd like to see him throw some passes to Josh Fowler if Josh is going to, you know, get a chance to, to do a lot of receiving as a tight end. And uh, so I, I think those are things you miss out a little bit um, as you're going here. Uh, for example, uh, first week, Devin Williams, Six five kid, big you know, freshman athlete is running, uh, uh, kind of a fade to the end zone, and would have been a deep one, you know, from like twenty yards out, and he's got the uh, defender clearly pinned behind him, so he gets in within side of the five. JT says to himself, as he always does, he said, "I throw a back shoulder now to my six foot five guy." There is no possible way this defender on the backside can can stop him. He's gonna catch it right at the you know the pylon. But Devin doesn't understand that, so he doesn't understand what is JT seeing, what is he doing, and what do I do as a result of having the defender pinned behind me. So he keeps running, just like a normal pattern into the end zone. But the ball is thrown, uh, a back shoulder ball that he could have easily caught if he'd have turned, looked, and reacted. And, uh, you know, it gets picked off. It was the right throw, and it still gets picked off. You need to see more and more of that. So guys realize, if I'm in this situation, this is what JT's going to do. And as a lot of the receivers said, we don't see that. We haven't seen those back shoulder throws. But he's going to make them. And... The more you repeat that in practice, the much better chance you got to execute it, you know, against uh, Stanford and Texas. 
And you really want to be able to do that by the time you get to Stanford in Texas. And that's not much time. No, there's not. A, it's we're running out of time very quickly. Um, well, a lot of okay, a lot of quarterback talk, uh, Dan. But there's we have a number of people wrote in with concerns about you know the offensive line. Uh, we'll start off with like Mark Child. He wrote in. Um, he said, "Shouldn't every position on the offensive line be made available regardless of seniority or loyalty to the program?" Based on the goats' notes and statements made on the podcast, it seems that Toa Lobadon and Chuma Doga are getting a pass on their position versus earning it this year. I, I I would be probably a little more open to the. Uh, I would have probably put them all on, you know, out there and everybody compete for them and uh, uh, seniority uh, doesn't matter all that much. I mean, I think you can do that without just throwing them out there. You know, for grabs, I mean, I don't know that that for absolute certain either one of those two is an absolute guaranteed starter. I mean, if, if Chuma's, uh, you know, health issues are such, I think this year you're seeing, you know, with, um, you know, Austin Jackson and, and Clayton uh, Bradley and Jalen McKenzie, you're seeing where they feel like they've got a four tackle rotation. And that wasn't the case last year. I mean, they, you know, they knew, you know, Vianney goes down, they go, Oh gosh, should we grab Austin and Voorhees, but he's not ready. And, um, you know, they just, I feel like, for example, they've got two other centers that they think they can play. They, they're using the, you know, Justin, uh, uh as a, uh, uh, as a kind of a H back, almost an extra offensive lineman, or, you know, using him and getting him to the point of attack when they, when they go with an extra offensive lineman. So they're certainly, you know, getting him ready, you know, to be in the mix. And, and I don't know that it's a hundred percent guaranteed that, you know, the, the Toa will, will emerge, uh, you know, with the snapping issues and what have you as the absolute, you know, lock at center. So, I think they might be because they feel like like Elijah Vera Tucker has uh, has shown up at at you know offensive guard uh, and and you're talking about kids that are six five six six three hundred and you know five three hundred ten pounds who look like athletes uh, they don't look like the kids that they look like last year so I think you can do some of that maybe without just flat out saying every position's open. But if you do it right in practice and if you have them in situations where they really are competing, you know, day after day after day and, and getting better, you have a chance to say, you know what, this kid, he deserves to be out there. That's, I think, the secret going forward is allowing those younger guys who have looked like they've stepped up. I, and I don't even know if when you, you hear the coaches talk about it, it's like, wow, you know, this almost a surprise. Because that didn't happen the last two years. They're, they're, the line was stagnant. If you were a starter, you were a starter. And that's how it was going to be. Unless somebody got hurt. Uh, I don't think that's the case this year. But, you know, I tend to agree that the more competition, the more things are open. I, I think what Pete had a great way of saying it, you should write your starters in sand, you know, uh, and see what happens. I mean, there are no etching them in stone, uh, you know. So... But that's where competition comes in. You don't have to worry so much about who's the start name starters if you truly compete every day in practice. Yeah, and uh, we'll see. The you know with no you don't get to see Chuma Doga out there. Uh, he was limited uh, yesterday. We'll see how much if you know he's coming back this week and and if there's really any competition. Um, Stephen Powell. Well, I know that one thing is though you don't have any of the sense that last year it was panic. When, for example, when they got to Pullman, Washington, without those guys, they didn't have an idea what the hell they were going to do on offense. Uh, you don't get that sense at all this year, that there isn't that, uh-oh, what do we do now? It's just next guy up. Let's yeah. get that guy in there. And that's a big difference. That's just I, I can't tell you how much of a, a different feeling that is. Stephen Poway said, is Clayton Johnston now Clayton Bradley? Yes, he changed his name. Uh, and he said, also, I'd like to go on record saying I'm really, really excited about the addition of JUCO transfer Bernard Shermer to the offensive line. Would you agree that his size and toughness is exactly what this offensive line needs in 2018? He says, P.S., can you ever imagine the super risk-averse uh, previous administration's greenlighting 
this type of slightly controversial transfer, Stephen Poway? Yeah, I think you might be right there. That uh, I mean, it's certainly he had a lot going for him. It sounds like you know, I mean, his sister's on the volleyball team. Uh, sounds like you know he's a good student. Family uh, really involved with uh, you know with what he's doing. Um, so he had a lot going for him. I mean, when you watch the video of that incident at the junior college game, I mean, uh, you know, you don't want to blame the you know put blame in the wrong place. But what the heck that that official was doing? I mean, he basically velcroed himself, uh, you know and trying to act like, you know, you're going to stop any kind of a scuffle. But, you know, you don't initiate the contact and then, you know, worry that some kid is, you know, hits himself in the helmet to to stop whatever is going on and he accidentally makes contact. I mean, let's face it. If you're so close that a kid's trying to hit himself in the helmet and he hits you, you're too close if you're an official. I'm sorry. You're too, you know. So I thought that was a bad, I thought it was a way overreaction by the officials group, uh, you know, to suspend him and all of that kind of thing. So I think it was a fair resolution. Whether he's the right, uh, he's the right guy. I don't, I know this. When he showed up at practice in street clothes, he looked bigger than, and we were talking about this the other day. Now he's not allowed to wear shoulder pads the first few days. So, uh, they've got him listed at, you know, 6'6. He doesn't look 6'6. And 280. I mean, I, I thought he looked bigger than that for a while, but I, I don't know. So he, you know, when you look at him size wise compared to the rest of those guys, he's not a dominant, uh, you know, figure size wise. Uh, looks like he could be a pretty good athlete. Uh, but, uh, but how much catching up? I mean, we've seen, you know, with junior college kids, there is a significant, uh, you know, gap between, you know, what they've been asked to do and what they're asked to do at USC. So, uh, and we haven't seen him in pads yet. So, uh, we'll, we'll know some more, um, maybe today. I, I'm thinking he might today, he could put on the pads, but, uh, uh, we'll know a little bit more after that. But, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's a good move. I think it's the right move. It's a fair move. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly willing to, you know, give him every opportunity, um, you know, based on the fact that he's a good student and, he, and he's got a sister who's at USC. I, I think those really help help them make that decision. Yeah. Um, all right. We have a voicemail, another voicemail about line play. Here you go. Hey, Ryan and staff. Uh, Julian from Northern California here. Quick question. I've been reading a lot about how USC's defense is supposed to be so far, advanced as it has been in previous years, but the depth is as high as it could be right now. But after constantly reading on the, in the war room and in the Terry style, I've noticed seeing that the offense is giving up a lot of big plays, and a lot of big plays have been giving up in the past few, past few years, especially under Clancy as well. Question is, is USC's defense as advanced as it really is? Or is our offense just progressing at a good rate throughout fall camp, considering that a freshman quarterback and two quarterbacks that have progressed tremendously throughout the spring uh, really stepping it up through camp? So, yeah, just a quick question. Is the USC defense really that great after giving up so many big plays, or are we just in store for a huge letdown? This is Julian from California. Fight on. I go for the huge letdown. That's why I always, uh, <laughs> at this time of year, I always pick the huge letdown. <laughs> no, I'm never going to pick the huge letdown. Uh, I think you can have both. I mean, I think the quarterbacks are improving. The offense is improving. Uh, adding Amon Ross St. Brown. I mean, it's almost ridiculous. I mean, let's say, if you're at USC, you do have a chance to say, okay, I know what a really good receiver looks like. I mean, there aren't, any place. I mean, there might not be any place that's had the succession of wide receivers and really good young wide receivers that USC's had. I mean, I, nobody. So when a kid comes along like Amon Ra and everybody says what they say, and we're talking about the people that coach him every day, uh, not just us who, you know, watch him in DRPs and are watching him now. When they say 
you know, they're throwing him in there with, you know, as good as Robert Woods was from day one, that natural, you know, just natural guy can do, you know, and, and his strength and his toughness and his physicality and his, all of that. This offense can give you some problems. The difference was the plays that Amon Ra made, there were people right there. I mean, they, he just made better plays and they made better throws. Uh, but they didn't, you know, they weren't given anything. Uh, last year, I think the big problem with the defense was, you know, they had breakdowns. That's, they, you know, they would tell you things like, well, we can stop them when we have to. And they were right. You know, they were fourth in the nation in the red zone because they didn't, they couldn't screw around. They couldn't, you know, give up stuff and, and do dumb things. And they were 66 in um, yards per play given up and 68th in total defense because they broke down and they didn't communicate. Now, I think a good example the other day in practice was uh, uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart was going through a, 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 there was sort of a busted play. They were running high, they were high pointing the ball and it was sort of a busted play and he just sort of jogged out Mr. Cool kind of a little bit. And Ronnie Britter, literally, I said this yesterday, almost came out of his shoes screaming, don't ever do that again. Well, that didn't happen last year. When when Jack Jones was kind of doing what the hell ever he wanted to do, uh, you know, it was hard to it was hard to discipline guys who were starting. And that's a different attitude now. That's not going to happen. I mean, we commented on it last year, and uh, and there's a different different approach to the communication and the breakdowns, and uh, you know, kids will make a couple of good plays, but if they then aren't where they're supposed to be or don't get, you know, uh, you know, the, the correct alignment or assignment or whatever on a later play. And you talk to the coaches afterwards, they're not real happy because the guy made a couple of plays. They're going to tell you, we need consistency. We need guys who are there every single play. That's what we want. That's what we're looking for. So there's a higher standard, I think, for this defense this year, uh, high, way higher than, than last year. And, Last year, you could, the frustration was you could see the potential. You could see they could get it done when they all did the right thing, but it wasn't always the case that they were all doing the right thing. And that's a big question we keep asking them every day. Why are you, you know, what's different? What is different with this, with this defense? And, um, um, I mean, they've got a chance to be really good with, with the depth that this defense has and the number of athletes that, you know, can run to the football. And uh, they'll hit you. And uh, the three uh, second-year defensive linemen, uh, I don't know that anybody's got any better three second-year defensive linemen than, uh, you know, Tefeli and Peely and uh, Tui Pelotu. And, they, you know, there's a lot of talent there and uh, an awful lot of linebackers and an awful lot of, you know, guys in the secondary. And they just have to get it together. It looks like they're certainly working at that. We haven't, you know, I mean, let's face it, there were six touchdowns Saturday, for example, but, uh, but they did some, um, you know, red zone stuff. So, uh, some of those weren't earned, you know, full length of the field touchdowns or anything like that. And then, and then a couple of them were on just unbelievable, you know, terrific, you know, throws and catches that, uh, you know, that somebody was there and they just, you know, made a better play. But, uh, but I thought uh, I thought they you know played the run pretty well, um, and I thought they you know I didn't see any real breakdowns in coverage, uh, so it's a pretty good start. I think they I think they've got a chance to both have an improving offense and quarterbacks getting better as uh, preseason goes on, and the defense being pretty good. So uh, I don't think it's an either or. All right, we still got a bunch left. We'll try to like rapid fire through some okay. of these. Um, Max wrote in, who are the fastest guys on the team this year? Good question. Uh, so, Jones, like Velas Jones? Or? I guess Velas, they're running him straight down. The, he's not, you know, they're not running him sideways all the time now. Yeah. So, he's fast, faster when he goes straight. Dominic uh, Davis had a, a really nice return the other day where you find, you know, you got to see, oh, okay, I remember that guy. Um, you know, he, he, he put it into, you know, into gear. Um, boom, boom, boom. I think it was interesting uh, the other day. T said, "Amon Ra is faster than advertised," uh, and he is. I mean, he's you know he's solid, you know, thick kid. Uh, 
but he can run by people. Um, so, but I don't. That's a good question, and I don't. I don't know. You know, when you get into the defensive backs, Elijah, you know, Griffin and Isaac Taylor Stewart, you know, have have clearly have wheels. Uh, where, you know, if you had a match race, I'm not sure. Where yeah. they I think at the higher end, the longer they ran, Devin Williams has probably got a shot. Uh, uh, you know, so. I don't, that's a good question. And I don't, I don't have a really good answer because they don't do a lot of like 40 runs. They don't take the chance of guys pulling, you know, pulling something and whatever. So, uh, even you ask the players and and they're not really sure who that was. Stephen Carr, I don't know what his top speed is. Uh, I mean, he's got a lot of quickness. You know, Marquis Step, we heard Marquis Step has had a 442, uh, 230 pounds. So, uh, uh, they got a lot of guys that can run. Let's just say that they can run. They probably people weren't going to run away from them. I don't think uh, yeah. this year this team. Tark wants to know: Has Amon Ross St. Brown locked up the slot receiver spot in your eyes? I think he's locked up a spot. I don't think there's any question. I, I just he's too good. I mean, and, you know, they're <laughs> when they're talking about you haven't played it down yet, and they're talking about you <laughs> as. Uh, uh, maybe he should be compared to, you know, the athletic director. And you're thinking, wait a minute, that guy's like in every Hall of Fame in, in, in football. Uh, <laughs> so they really aren't afraid to just throw that out there for Ahmed Ross. So he's going to be on the field. He has to be on the field. I mean, he's just, he's just too good. I mean, he's really good. <laughs> um, he's okay. Uh, this is a schedule thing from Troy Trojan. There was a topic on the P on the schedule I had to verify. I went through all Power 5 conferences and found that two schools do not have back-to-back home games all year. Uh, West Virginia, and you guessed too, so I assume he's, yeah. he's USC. Please explain whether it's facing all teams that have a bye before or playing 12 straight games or the Friday night road debacles. Why does this continue to happen? Does Heritage Hall understand that having a favorable schedule is winning half the battle? It seems they love putting the team uh with one hand behind their backs to start the season come to the end of October, this team will be a bunch of zombies. Who's responsible for ruining this multi-billion dollar world renowned organization, like a 50 cent lemon lemonade stand, (laughs) Troy. Yeah. I mean, there was no excuse last year for going to um, uh, Pullman on uh, Friday night uh, after traveling the week before on, you know, getting a short week and a second straight travel week. And that, that, that USC didn't raise hell and didn't tell the Pac-12, no, we're not doing that. We're not playing Friday night. And, and if, you know, there won't be a game. We're going to play it on Saturday. And, and for Larry Scott at the end of the year to say, man, nobody even told us, gee, uh, we didn't realize every team we put in that situation lost every single, you know, short week after they had to travel the week before and travel that, you know, that Friday night. And I take, Wow, we screamed about it. Half the posters on the P screamed about it. Apparently, USC didn't say a word. And Larry Scott was able to say, nobody even raised that issue with us. Well, how the hell did that happen? What's, who, is, is there no one awake, uh, you know, in Heritage Hall for things like that? I mean, somebody should have screamed and said, no, we're not. And as it turns out, Washington State was 4-0 with four straight home games. USC was unbeaten. That game would have been, because it wasn't a great weekend in college football, that would have been the best game in college football on that Saturday. So instead of playing before, you know, a couple of million, uh, barely, uh, late at night on Friday night, they probably would have hit game day there. Would have been a big deal because of the whole Washington State connection to game day. And it would have worked out better for everybody, including ESPN. If USC would have just said no to the Pac-12, and then the Pac-12 could say no to ESPN, but they don't do it, and that's dumb, and they need to do it better. Uh, yeah, USC is one of five schools this year that will play 11 Power 5 opponents, and I, that's just that's USC. I mean, we love it that they play Texas. We love it that they have to, you know, they're going to play Notre Dame. And But then you've got to protect yourself, I think, in other ways, and if there are other ways to do it, I mean, obviously they shouldn't be playing Stanford the first week of, of the year, every year in the Pac-12. And the Pac-12 says, oh, it's because of the Notre Dame game, and you switch Stanford and USC switch the Notre Dame game from October in South Bend to end of the season when Notre Dame comes out here for either one. But 
you got to do better than that. They were farming out the schedule in the Pac-12 to some, you know, computer service or whatever, and they weren't even doing their own schedule. I mean, it's just that's malpractice and a malpractice for USC to allow that to happen. So yeah, that USC ought to be, you know, every one of those uh, situations that do not serve USC, they should be screaming about them. And you know, now the Pac-12 is talking about, well, we may change our schedule, and we're going to change it so that. You can play an, a non-conference team later in the year. So what are they going to do it for? So they can add a, uh, you know, a, a directional school in November, you know, a guarantee game like the SEC. That's dumb. That's not a good reason to do that. Uh, but, you know, getting your schedule squared away so that it makes sense uh, is something that ought to be happening. And, again, USC should take the leadership role and say, look, we're USC – we're going to get this done right, and we haven't seen that, and that's that's sad. One last one from Tom from the South Bay. He says, hi, Dan. You seem to be optimistic about this team, and I hope you are right. Yes, we have talented players all over, but don't forget that these are the same coaches for the last two years. Helton refused to make a change, and we know what these coaches did last year. Special teams, defensive backs, offensive line coaches, and don't forget the play calling. So what makes this year different? Then last year, Tom from the South Bay, who's usually pretty pessimistic when he writes in, and this was the same. <laughs> they have made some changes. I mean, uh, Baxter's back to being a full-time uh, uh, special teams coach. Uh, the whole combination with tight ends and special teams didn't work out well for either. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, he's got, you know, he got you know, the, the bull runners back, I think, after last year's special teams. Uh, uh, I think they've done, you know, good things like bringing in a Dave, uh, you know, Campo, the former Cowboys uh, head coach, as a, as a, you know, a consultant. I guess he is listed as officially uh, in the secondary, one of the really great minds in, uh, you know, coaching uh, defensive backs. So I think that's a plus. They've got six analysts now. We've never had that. You know, USC's never had that many analysts. Um, I think Brian Ellis uh, is a real plus. Uh, I think he's, uh, I, I really, I liked him always, uh, you know, when a lot of people didn't, uh, moving him as the quarterback coach. I think that's a plus. I think T. Uh, Martin has had, a, you know, time to really think about, you know, what didn't go well last year. I think there's a focus there. Um, I, and I, I think Clay obviously has had, you know, that Ohio State game. I mean, he's opened up more and more. I mean, originally, we didn't, we couldn't tell what kind of effect the Ohio State game is having on him. Now, for me, it looks like Clay more focused on the fact that Ohio State's depth was the issue and that USC has to develop that kind of depth. You know, as far as I was concerned, it was Ohio State's physicality. The depth helped them play and practice and prepare, you know, physically. But, uh, you can get to the physicality if you believe you've got enough depth and all that. So we'll see how that works. I mean, but there have been changes. This is not, you know, I know people, you know, say, well, he did this and he did that and he's never going to change. That's not the case. Clay, uh, Clay didn't have the benefit. He wasn't here through, you know, any of the, you know, the Pete Carroll years. He wasn't on a NAS. He was on, you know, Memphis. Uh, you know, he was at Duke and Memphis and places like that. He wasn't at a national championship program. And then he, you know, got here under uh, NCAA sanctions and coaching under, uh, you know, Lane and uh, Sark. So I don't think he's had the benefit of being able to see how you put it all together and how you, you make it work at that very, very top level where he certainly is willing to say that's where they got to go, that, you know, Pac-12 championship, national, uh, you know, championship contention. Um so he's learning on his own, I think, a lot. And uh, I, that, that's what you got to hope is, is they're capable of doing that. I think Dabo Swinney did that at, at, at Clemson. I think it took him six years to, to really figure it out. Uh, you know, Nick Saban, you know, from Toledo to Michigan State to LSU to, you know, the Miami Dolphins and then back, took him a while to figure it out. Took Pete Carroll, you know, a couple of NFL uh, excursions and a year off to figure it out. So I think you gotta, if you're a USC fan, you gotta hope that, that that is what's happening. And, um, you know, what we're seeing is there is an evolution to, uh, to the way Clay is coaching this team. 
uh, how it proceeds, again, once we get the season here, once you get, you know, week to week to week game prep and all that, does that, um, does that remain? Does that competition, that physicality, uh, does that stay part of the program? Uh, that's going to be a big part of, of where this goes, but, but I wouldn't, uh, you know, use history as a guide to say, um, uh, that's what's going to happen this year because that's history. Um, uh, for a younger coach, I don't know that, you know, you got to get there pretty quickly. Like John McKay, you know, two years where they thought he was going to be fired and he really struggled and he was this kind of no name assistant from Oregon. And then all of a sudden, boom. Yeah, he wins a national championship. Uh, it happens. You know, I mean, people, can you imagine what they were saying? What if Clay had, you know, John McKay's record uh, the first two years here? What would people be saying? I mean, the guy did win a, you know, win a great Rose Bowl in the Pac-12 championship. So uh, I think, there, you know, there's clearly hope. Uh, uh, but it's, it's got to keep, you know, keep evolving and going in the right direction. And, you know, that's what this year is all about. It is. All right. That's Dan Weber. Great stuff. We're looking forward to see you out there practice later today. Um, yeah. And thanks. If, sorry for if we didn't get to your question, just there's so much going on. We'll we'll do our best to get to as many as we can. But thanks again, Dan. We'll uh, see you out there soon. Yeah. Great questions. Uh, uh, hopefully didn't didn't talk too long, but there are a lot of really thoughtful stuff, uh, stuff you guys are bringing up that we need to kind of give you the picture, full picture. Yeah. All right. Well, that's Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. We're both on uscfootball.com. Make sure you go check out the site besides listening to the podcast. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. We're going to have uh, probably Coach Harvey Hyde tomorrow. And that'll probably be, we'll probably just do two podcasts this week. We'll see. But uh, we'll get Coach Hyde on. So send in any questions you have for him. For Dan Weber, I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in. And we will talk to you next time.